It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hi, Chris. Happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, Chris, before Jake comes in with a strong basketball question for you, I can't let this day go by. You being the boxing expert that you are to ask about the fight of the century, March 8th, 1971, between Smoke and Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I was just a young boy back then, you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that was well before my time, of course, uh, being on this earth. But anybody who watches boxing knows of that fight. Um, Ali, his first significant fight uh, since being sidelined for uh, you know, for reasons we all know, for his words on, on the war. And, you know, Frazier, his big opportunity uh, in that fight. And... You know, that, that was a time when boxing held a place in, in the sports world that it hasn't seen in a very long time. I mean, I, I, I've watched tape of it over and over again. I've watched the rematch. I mean, I've watched all of Ali's fights, for that matter. Um, it was a special, a special night. You always wondered watching that, you know, would Ali have beaten Frazier if he had been more active and if he had been – the Muhammad Ali before the layoff. That's always going to be one of those questions when it comes to that fight. Yeah, I remember it to this day. I was young, but I was—I didn't watch the fight live. But, man, we were all hanging on the edge of our seat. Every kid, every sports-oriented kid that I knew was big time into that fight. And I don't know if that's the way it is anymore, but it was back then. No, it's, it's like that in spots now, whether it's Mayweather-Pacquiao in 2015- there's a heavyweight clash coming up this year between Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua that will probably captivate the sports world when that fight happens because for the undisputed heavyweight championship between two guys in their prime. But, you know, more than just Ali Frazier, it was, you know, it was every, you know, six weeks there was a mega fight, if not earlier. I mean, it just, you know, boxing, and, and we could go down a rabbit hole with this, but boxing has been its own worst enemy for a long time. Guys have been obsessed with a perfect record when that couldn't be more meaningless. They have been obsessed with extracting every single nickel, which is fine because you know, you're putting your life on the line when you get into the ring. But people forget Ali had five losses. Sugar Ray Robinson, widely considered the greatest fighter ever, had 19 losses on his resume. That Losses don't matter. And until boxers realize that and things change, you know, boxing, instead of be, having a place alongside football and basketball in terms of popularity, is going to be with, you know, NASCAR and lacrosse. Chris, want to ask you about uh, the All-Star game. And, of course, we had a truncated All-Star extravaganza this year. What are you um, – well, I guess let me ask you this first. Uh, how did you enjoy this year's experience? I think – Team Durant is on the hot seat. Their general manager, their coach, <laughs> their players. I mean, that, that was a shellacking if you've ever seen one in an all-star game, you know, quarter after quarter. And somebody tweeted this, and they were right. Like, it just seemed like Team LeBron was the cool kids' table and Team Durant was not. Like, they just seemed like they were having way more fun on Team LeBron than they were on Team Durant, whether it's Kyrie taking it seriously, some other stuff there. But, um yeah, I mean, look, it, it's better the way it is now. 
Um, I am on board with having everything on one day, which I know won't happen again because they want to stretch it out over multiple days. But I kind of like having everything, the skills competition uh, on the dunk contest, all on one day. I will say this. There's, like, the skills competition and the dunk contest badly need to be you know, overhauled. you got to include, like, defense in the skills competition somewhere, right? Like, defense is a skill. So whether it's the other player can pick a player to go one-on-one against somebody and that counts as a defensive stop, uh, that's got to be changed a little bit. In the dunk contest, I mean, you got to get guys to participate, right? Like, no disrespect to Cash Stanley, but I had no idea who Cash Stanley was. Like, I covered the league. I had no idea who he was. You know, Obi Toppin, you know, only from college. Uh, Anthony Simons, that was – I didn't know he had those kind of hops, so he was fun to watch. But you got to find a way to get the big names back in that competition if you're going to keep doing it. Chris, the thing that stood out to me the most from that game was just the remarkable talent and skill of the, the sharpshooters. Man, when Damian Lillard was shooting, I mean, he looked like he could hit. I told Jake earlier, he looked like he could hit 7 of 10 from half court if he wanted to. You know, it, it, and, and Steph Curry doing that stood out to me more than anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, Damian Lillard practices those shots. I mean, I, I know Paul George said something to this effect afterwards, like, you know, okay, maybe that is a good shot. Like, it's, it's his, <laughs> that's his range. And it was fun watching him and Steph play, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. And I wish they would have done more of it. I know Lillard took a, you know, behind half court shot that was way off, but I would have liked to see a couple more attempts from the two of them because they are the two most dangerous long range snipers probably this league has ever seen. You know, if Reggie Miller's out there calling Steph Curry the best shooter of all time, that, that tells you something. So I would have liked to have seen even more of that uh, from those spots, but they're, I mean, they're just dangerous from the outside, and you know, if it was just one takeaway from watching, it's like they're those really aren't bad shots that Steph and Clay are taking, or Steph and uh, and, and Lillard are taking. Chris, uh, lay out some expectations for this Jazz team in the second half of the season. Well, I don't see any reason to believe why what they did in the first half isn't sustainable. I mean, like everybody else, I'm going to be watching those marquee games. Uh, a Laker game at full strength, a Clippers game at full strength, um, you know, games like that, Portland at full strength, to see how the Jazz measure up. But, you know, there's nothing that was that feels like an aberration there. I mean, Rudy Gobert, you know, we've talked about this. His impact on both ends has been MVP level. So I, I don't, I don't believe that's going to change because nothing he's doing seems like it's it's going to come back down to earth. You're always maybe a little concerned about Clarkson that his streakiness goes cold, but he's been great all season long. And Mitchell is just a young guy, you know, taking another step. Mike Conley, we know, is is Mr. Consistent, um, you know, throughout his career. So I, I have the same expectations in the second half of the Jazz that we saw in the first. I don't expect any kind of crash to earth or any kind of, of significant shift in the way they're playing. They're they're a well constructed team, a well coached team with you know, the right kind of players to finish games. So uh, I think this is, Utah team is in a great position to you know, get into the playoffs as the number one, number two seed. So, Chris, I want to put you on the spot with this question. First of all, let me, let me preface it by saying Jake and I were talking about how the Jazz are typically they're good at both ends of the floor. 
And then we were talking about the emphasis on offense, and we've had that conversation with you in the past. But we were trying to figure out the last time an NBA champion team was not particularly good at, at, at defense. And we were really struggling to find to remember when when that happened. It's almost like as much as offense is emphasized these days, if you don't play D, you're not going to win a championship. No, and this is the conversation that usually comes around, has come around when Mike D'Antoni coached teams were good because they were always dynamic offensively and reporters, and I've done it, I've written it, have asked, like, how good you need to be defensively to win a championship. And Mike has always said you can't win a championship unless you're a top-ten defensive team, no matter how good you are. Now, the, the Nets may test that. You know, the Nets are not going to transform into a top-ten defensive team in the second half of the season. Blake Griffin, good player, probably a good addition, but he's not going to impact them overwhelmingly defensively. But they are so outstanding offensively that you may see that theory, you know, tested with Brooklyn. But you really have to be special offensively, like, you know, generationally. Because even, like, remember the Miami Heat teams, I have to go back and look, but I thought they were really good defensively. Uh, I mean, LeBron was an elite defensive player back then. Um, and they, and they, so they were inside, I think, that top ten. But uh, unless you're, you're, you're really special offensively, You've got to be inside that top ten. Chris Mannix, uh, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I uh, want to talk about the Clippers for a second here because uh, Gordon keeps uh, bringing up that, oh, they lost to the Nuggets last year, and uh, do you question them? Do you, what What is the key to the Clippers' success or not? Is it internal or are they missing pieces? No, well, it's both. Um, they are missing a point guard. You know, and I expect before the March 25th deadline for them to aggressively pursue some kind of help at that position. They have been linked, I've been told, to Terry Rogier in the past. I don't know if the success Charlotte has had this year has changed their opinion on Rogier and keeping him around, but there is something of a glut of guards uh, in Charlotte right now with LaMelo playing at the level that he's playing. Um so I would expect them to make a run at somebody. So that's, that's the, the roster issue. Uh, internally, though, it's, it really comes down to how you perform when you get punched in the mouth, when you're down 2-1 in the series. And the Clippers, you know, last year and historically, have not performed when something like that happens. So I guess it just it remains to be seen, you know, what happens with L.A. if they get in some trouble in the postseason, I, I I can't answer it. Nobody can answer it. Do they have enough internal leadership this year to, you know, get over something a situation like that, or do they fold again? Because you know the guys they have on that team are extremely talented, but they're not de facto leaders. Like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are not de facto leaders. So that's that's probably the, the unanswerable question with this Clippers team until we see them in that situation. So, Chris, we study the West all the time, talk about the teams that we were just talking about, the Jazz, Clippers, the Lakers, all that. But is there a team, if it's not the Nets in the East, is there a team in the East that could be a legitimate threat for a title this year? Is it the Sixers? Who? I mean, do they exist? I think they exist. Um, I, I mean, the Sixers certainly have 
the on paper look like they have the talent. I get a little leery of trusting Seth Curry and some of the supporting cast they have in a seven-game series, but they're more well-constructed now than they ever have before. I do think Milwaukee's dangerous. I mean, you know, we've said, many of us said, myself included, that the addition of Drew Holiday was a game-changer for them, that Drew Holiday is going to be better for them in the postseason than Eric Bledsoe. I still believe that. And with their swoon in, what was it, January, February, whenever it happened, came when Holiday was out of the lineup due to COVID. Uh, now that he's back, um, they're a, a complete team. So I, I still think Milwaukee, you know, if they can get some confidence in the postseason and Giannis can show he can take over some games, all, all ifs, no question, but I think Milwaukee's a threat to win the whole thing. I look, the Lakers are great, and if they're at full strength, um, they're probably still the team to beat because their struggles have come with Davis out and Dennis Schroeder out. Um, the Jazz are excellent, but they're as untested as anybody deep in the playoffs. So I think there are multiple teams in the Eastern Conference that can come out and win this thing. Chris, thank you as always. Have a great week. You got it, guys. It's our friend Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.